This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom, everyone, and welcome to Asia Torah's Essentials program here in the holy city of Jerusalem. We are today discussing personal revelation, and what we're going to do is model our own personal revelation with history. You see, history has three major sections in it, like three big markers, creation, revelation, and completion. Creation was the beginning of it all. Revelation was Mount Sinai, and completion is the, is the you know, Messianic era, or you could say it when we hit the 6,000th year. Uh, messianic era is before the 6,000th year, or... or uh, you know, 6,000 years where this whole planet kind of comes to its, to its conclusion. And the, but these three things are mirrored by human life because you were created, you were born one day. So you have creation and every person born will eventually die and that's completion. So your, your experience on earth had a beginning and it will have an end. And the question is, where is your revelation? Where is your revelation? Is, has it even happened yet? If it hasn't happened, what are you doing to get it? But there's, there has to be a point in a person's life called revelation. Revelation is when you realize what... Well, it's really two things. One, what's life for? And two is, what's your life for? Here's what's life for? What are we doing here? And the other revelation is, what are you doing here? And those are two very separate revelations. But until you have those revelations, life's pretty meaningless. I mean, you got the existential meaning of like, meaning you can like deconstructionist make up your own meaning. But for many people, and I'm one of them, uh, making up your own meaning for existence is, um, I mean, maybe I'm not creative enough, but to me it's depressing. It's depressing. If we all make up our own meaning, then then it's uh, it's not good enough for me because that means it's really meaningless, ultimately. So this kind of nihilistic meaninglessness, which is, you know, which has been pushed by academia a lot, by the academics, to that the world's actually meaningless and that we make our own meaning out of creation is is cute. I mean, it's fun. I definitely was there for a while during university into this, like, make your own meaning thing. But deeply hurt. I was deeply hurt. I always felt there was something, like, truly meaningful. It was in my gut. Like, there's got to be a reason why we're here. Now, again, there's two points. Why you're here, and then there's, sorry, why we're here, and then why you're here. What What are, what's this whole creation for? And then what are you doing here? How did you get here? So being born, dying, revelation, and knowing what you're doing here is the most important thing in your life. It's the, it is the moment that you reveal what we're doing here and what you're doing here is the, what will give context to the entire existence. Now, in the creation story itself, Torah was... It's hard to say exactly what God was thinking, because the question is, 
Interesting question. Why did God wait 2,200, sorry, 2,448 years to give the Torah? Why, why would he wait that long? If Torah is so important, give it at the beginning. Why is Torah given only about halfway through? You know, right now we're in 5778, so it's, the, it's towards the halfway mark. 2448 is about the halfway mark of creation. So why did God wait that long? And the answer, there's a lot of different answers. One of the answers is that God wanted us to intuit through intuition, to intuit his will, which just never happened. The, um, I mean, that's, that's probably the main answer, is that we were supposed to intuit God's existence and God's will. Um, what? Abraham was the, at the 2000 mark. He was born in 1948, so that's already part of this plan. That's the beginning of the plan. You understand? Abraham's the, the plan of Torah. When God said, hey, Abraham... And Abraham said, Hineni, that was the very beginning of the Torah plan. Like the, the, the idea of that I'm going to create a God up to man down revelation. Other than that, till Abraham, we were supposed to figure it out. And you'll notice Abraham did figure it out. We weren't ready for it. You could say we weren't ready for it, or you could say that, that it was experimental. See how they do. I mean, think about your own life. Think about us. Well, think about your own life. Think about some Chinese guy in a rice paddy right now. No revelation. And you could just say God's just going to see how he does on his own. So you could easily say that the whole creation was like that. Everyone in humanity was supposed to basically see how they do, see what they figure out, see if they can get it. We have an interesting situation because it got figured out for us, which is a whole other issue, is isn't part of your revela- isn't part of the revelation something that you have to do? Like, don't you have to have the revelation? And you'll notice sometimes I'll have a room full of people, some who became observant on their own later in life, and some who were raised observant. And I ask people, who's had a revelation in here? And all the people who were raised secular, who became observant, raises their hand that they had a revelation. And then the other half of the room, the jealous half, are the people raised observant, who are still waiting for the revelation. They're still waiting for the revelation. Now, on the bright side, though, those who are raised observant still get a chance for revelation, the second part, which is what they're doing here. That's also important. What's your purpose? Meaning specifically as an individual, what are you doing here? They still have to deal with that. But either way, if you're raised Jewish and you're part of the tradition of Judaism, it's kind of given to us this revelation. So how's this for a question? How do we, if, if, our, if the revelation of God's will and wisdom is Torah and mitzvahs, can you slide over a teeny bit? Thank you. If God's revelation is Torah and mitzvahs, how do we make it inspiring? How do we make it inspiring? If we're, I understand if you're raised secular, it's going to be inspiring. But if you're raised observant, how do you make it inspiring? How is it inspiring? 
I don't exactly want to teach that right now. <laughs> I'm not feeling inspired to teach that right now. Uh, but there are many ways. You know, I'm willing to hear you guys say, how do you make it inspiring if you're raised in it? What do you guys say? What do y'all say? What? Leave it and come back. I wasn't going to say that. That's what the uh, that's what the Amish do. The Amish leave it and come back. Did you know that? The Amish have to leave. They have to leave. What do you call it? Amish kite. They have to leave <laughs> Amish kite. And for I think a year, a year, and then come back like fully on board. You know. So they'll not come back. That's a lot. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> a lot will come back. What? There's a lot of limitations like, during that year, what they Well, I'm sure there's some level of purity they should keep going. I think that makes sense. Um, yeah? You have to become an independent thinker and challenge their way of thinking and ask them, like, why they're doing things the way they are. And, like... Uh-huh. Okay. Try and figure things out for yourself, not just, not just because you were told to do it. Right. Okay. That's good to do the Abraham. It's, I call it the Abraham. Is ask questions about everything. Remember, Abraham was a serious question asker, and his against his father. His father had an idolatrous tradition, and Abraham was always, you know, attacking. So, be that guy. Be that Abraham character. You know, and ask all those questions. Okay, that's another way. Any other ways? You guys want to think? How do you get create a revelation? You seem to have had some kind of revelation. You were raised in Judaism. How do you create revelation? Asking questions. What? Question everything. That's what you did? Question is us. You're another Abraham guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Aish is, is really good for these people. Because Aish um, kind of does the rebellion for you. Meaning we're going we're gonna to ask and answer the questions that everyone's, you know, desperate to ask but are afraid to. They have to have a revelation just to come to Yeah. There's a certain simplicity that you need to reach that's not about where it stops being about society and it stops being about the intellectual and it just becomes about you being honest about your life and where you're at emotionally and like in every on every level and then being able to look at sorry, look at everything in your life with an honest view. I would call right. I would call everything you call said just now is maturity. You have to mature. Yeah, which is kind of rough because if you're keeping all of halacha because you're expected to on all the years you're not mature yet. So here you are expected to keep all this stuff when you're not you haven't matured yet to like settle into the life of a pre-revealed lifestyle without your own revelation. Okay, fine. Like, just because you know something doesn't mean it's revealed. Like, you can have a personal revelation and ha- aha moment of something that you've known always. Right. Right. And there's also something called chidushet Torah, where Torah that you thought you knew all of a sudden gets revealed on a much higher level, much broader level, which is chidushet Torah. Okay. Personal revelation. Let's go on that. First, we had Torah revelation, meaning what's 
your life about? Sorry, what's life about? And then the second one is what's your life about? How do you create a personal revolution? How do you figure out what your life's for? How do you figure it out? I think I might have taken some notes on this, but my phone my phone's right here, so I can't. Maybe it could be through like I know this isn't like, you know, everyone's kind of like taste or whatever, it's it's a pretty controversial topic, but maybe it could be like through listening to Mustar. That sometimes wakes you up. Uh huh. Okay. So personal revelation can come through let's call it personal growth. Personal growth. Yeah, it could. But anything could be personal growth. Right. I would say that what you're saying is like strip someone down. Strip their ego down. That's what Musa is. But even if you strip someone's ego down, now they got no ego. Okay, good. What's he doing? What's he here for? You understand? I think you've got the best starting point. Meaning, let's put it like this. You can't really know what you're here for. You can't know what you're here for if your ego's still there, if you got what to lose. You can't know what you're here for. I'm gonna say it like a principle. You can't know what you're here for until you got nothing to lose. Or you can't know what you're here for if you've still got something to lose. If there's something you could lose, like ego stuff, self-image stuff, Right, like if you basically, you know, you value this world too much as opposed to the next world, then you don't really care about being a good person. And then yeah, what I was saying is something different, though. I, I agree with you on that, but the, but what I mean by something to lose is, is your, your actual uh, self-image. Listen to me. Listen. If you found out what you're really doing here, meaning what you came here to do, if you found that out, what do you got to do now? Do it. It, you got to do it. If you found out what you're doing here, you got to go do it. Now, tell me, is everyone going to be really excited about your newfound uh, mission? Maybe. Well, who's they? Depends. Right. (laughs) So there's going to be some people who are like, you know, and they probably aren't that close to you to begin with, who are going to be like, two thumbs up. Go for it, man. Like, how many people get, like, we love encouraging people when we see them on fire about something, so we're like, go for it. But it seems like, in a weird way, that the people who are closer and closer to you, like the closer someone is to you, the more you're, they're they're a little uncomfortable with your mission. They don't necessarily want to be known as the sister or brother of the person with the mission. They don't want to necessarily be the parents of the person with the mission. They don't necessarily want to be best friends with the person with the mission. It seems that people are closer to you. Of course, that's what she was saying. It depends. But there's a lot of people. Like, let's say, for example, let's say your mission is, um, let's say your mission was to I mean, something that's kind of been on the on my, the radar lately is your mission is only Jews live in Israel. Only Jews live in Israel. Like, Gentiles have plenty of land. Like, there's... How many, you know, how many countries with broad borders that 
could easily house Gentiles. Only Jews should live in Israel. Jews only. You want to visit Israel? Okay, we have a Torah source for that. Every Sukkot, the nations of the world would bring offerings to Jerusalem. And so, okay, you want to bring an offering? You can come in. We're going to tag you at the airport. Keep an eye on you all the way to Jerusalem on GPS. <laughs> bring your sheep and get lost. You know, like... But, you know, by the way, is this sound politically correct? No. It's totally not politically correct. No. It's, you know what it's called? It's called ethnic cleansing. I'm not saying, I'm not here to advocate. I was just coming up with a mission that not everyone's going to be so excited that they're your sister, that they're your brother. And you're going big time viral on this because it's super provocative. And, and you've got a million proofs behind you. You got all the weight of turd backing you on this. And, and you're just bulldozing ahead on social media. <laughs> I'm just saying the the case, our hypothetical case, was a mission that people who are people who are not close to you are going to be like, "Look, or what's what's she like?" But you know, that's what acquaintances will be doing. Like, I know that person. But as it starts getting closer and closer, neighbors even will be like uncomfortable with you. And now you got your family and your close friends are just like, "Couldn't you have chosen something a little less controversial?" <laughs> listen to me listen to me if you want a personal revelation <laughs> right if you want to <laughs> if you want to have a personal revelation remember there's two types there's national is like what we're doing here as a nation or what people are doing on earth but if you want a personal one you better find one that's really vanilla really parv which is like that's like pinning a tail on a donkey. That's like meaning meaning you're just blindly looking for a mission that somehow fits two criteria. Everyone's going to love it. That's one. And then there's another one we haven't even started discussing is that it's super easy to do. <laughs> How many missions is everyone going to love and it's super easy to do? No, almost none. You might find one that everyone loves, but it's going to be super hard to do. Now, what does it mean? What's another term for something that's hard to do? What does it mean it's hard to do? What's another term for that? It's going to be the whole path to succeeding in your mission is going to be riddled with challenges. Challenges, good. Yeah, but let's get a little closer to the jugular. It's a fear that people have. Failures. Failure, right? It's going to be riddled with failure. You're going to fail many times. The history of you, meaning let's say you finally succeeded in the mission. If people wanted to interview you about the mission, what you'd do is tell them the story of the failures. It would be this amazing tale of how this failed and then this failed and then this failed and then this failed and this failed and then finally we got here and then that failed and then and then we got there and then that failed and then we got there and finally, boom, we, we did it. How many of you choose anything that has even any failure possible. Think about that. How many of us have been navigating 
How many of us have been navigating life in a perfect avoidance of any potential failure? And when you live life always avoiding failure, <laughs> and I'm using the words living life liberally right now because that's hardly called living life, but if you're living your life avoiding failure, you, you, chances are you're not going to be feeling alive. You're probably not going to be feeling very alive. Easy never made anyone feel alive. I think part of the reasons why I was drawn to extreme sports is it just was wrought with difficulty. And the, the consequence of failure was super high. And the victory of having not failed in various, you know, precarious situations was greatly rewarding. And I, it gave me a great feeling of being alive. Wow. Some of those surf sessions and some heavy mountain bike, you know, technical descents that we do. You feel very alive afterwards. <laughs> right, but those endorphins, part of those endorphins isn't just the G-forces of... It's the consequences that cause us. And now... Okay, go ahead, Ezra. And for uh, throwing yourself into one of these missions, how do you know that you have God's blessing and how do you know that the failures aren't the same nature as God? Okay, so Ezra has an amazing question. If, if you, you've had your personal revolution, revelation, you're going for your mission, how do you know this is, how do you know you got God's stamp on your mission? And how do you know that, it, it, how do you know when go forward, go back? Like, how do you know when you should stop, when you shouldn't stop? So it's a very good question. There's a couple different ways. One of the ways is, is you speak to courageous mentors and run your mission by them. So like mentors who are not wimps, and there's plenty of mentors out there that are just overprotective. So we're talking about a mentor who believes in missions. And uh, find that mentor and run your men mission by him. Another is to uh, l start blasting away and see how it goes. You know, see what's going on. If your mission, I generally have a, a, a principle, I don't know if I can apply it this time, but I have a general, a general way to know when to go and when to turn back in life, when things are getting in the way, when there's lots of obstacles. The principle is that if you're doing a mitzvah, this we won't be able to apply so much, but if you're doing a mitzvah, then you push through all obstacles. If you're doing a, a elective, if it's elective, it's not a mitzvah, it's just an elective. The obstacles are God's saying, turn around, go back. So like, if I'm going through a dangerous neighborhood, and I'm riding through a dangerous neighborhood because I'm doing a shortcut to be on time for a mitzvah that's timely, and obstacles are in the way, like I notice strange things are happening, it's not feeling so safe, so I keep pushing because I'm on the way to a mitzvah. And that's just, God's just rewarding me by put, giving some pushback. Because the pushback's the reward. Lefum tsara agra. According to the tsar is the reward. 
But if I'm just trying to get a shortcut because I just like to, you know, chill at home, you know, for an extra few minutes, and I notice everything's going wrong in that dangerous neighborhood, like I just notice like a truck just pulled out and blocked the place. So I have a chance now to kind of back up and turn around. So if if I have, if I'm noticing things going wrong and I just want to go chill and get somewhere a little earlier, so then I will actually take that as a signs and turn around and go back. But I, we can't really apply that to a mission. Because if a mission has God's stamp, you always push, push through, push through, push through. Okay, listen up. Well, if we were doing some mitzvah, then, yeah. Yeah. Here we go. Let's just say it again. In order to find your mission, you have to be willing to lose everything. And you have to be willing to, meaning lose all reputation, and you have to be willing to fail. Lose reputation and to fail, because you are going to fail many times. All successful things come with failure. You have to be willing to lose your reputation and be willing to fail. How do you all feel about losing your reputation and having multiple failures? (laughs) You're fine with the first one. Lose your reputation, multiple failures. No wonder everyone's walking around wondering what they're doing here. I meet so many young people and older people who are always wondering, and it's painful, what am I doing here? Like, why did God put me here? And once in a while we get to see that person who champions a mission like they really have a cause. They had their personal revelation, and now they're gonna—they're going all the way. And they just somehow don't care about the ridicule and the, the embarrassments, and they don't care about all the failures. Who are those people? Why are they not afraid? And look how much more alive they are than all of us. They're so much more alive. What, are the, what, what, are, what magic pill do they eat that somehow they don't seem to care what anyone thinks and they don't seem to mind all the pushback, all the failures? What is special about those people? What's special about them? They know they're doing the right thing. Yeah. I mean, they do have that, but I know a lot of other people who know there's a right thing to do, but they, they just... They don't have the courage. Right? They feel like they're the ones that have to do it because they don't see anyone else out there doing it. These are all nice, but I'm asking the other question. How come they're willing to forgo ridicule and forgo... You know, they're really willing to forgo reputation and they're willing to forgo um, failure? They feel the mission. They because I know a lot of people feel all kinds of missions. They're not. They're not doing nothing. They don't really feel it. They're not willing to forego, like you said, reputation and failure. They're really not feeling the mission. They don't care what people, other people think about them. Okay, they don't care about what other people. I get what you're saying. Yeah. Okay, which is what? What's your name? That's what Natalie was saying at the beginning. That was her very first point, which segued us here. They don't have ego. In order to remove like your ego, right? You need to like internalize that this world isn't the 
You keep saying this world. You're very, uh, glo- you're one of these big thinkers, but no one's talking about worlds here. Okay? We're talking about us and our mission. Right, but I'm saying that no one's going to, you know, truthfully, you know, okay, of course people do care about being a good person, but no one really is like, you know, with all their heart going to care about being a good person if, unless they know that there's something uh, that, that, that they will. Uh, attain after this world, right? If if you basically wait one second. No, 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 Natalie, I'm <laughs> cutting you off. You're cut. I'm cutting you off. <laughs> yeah. Have you noticed, everybody? Have you noticed that the few people that we get to see once in a while who do go all the way with something, <laughs> that it has nothing to do with the next world? I mean, they're going to get some incredible next world for sure. They're going to be in good shape okay, because they are definitely. Making the world a better place. Right, but what I'm saying but, is that if, so, if there were two people... Natalie, <laughs> the reason why I'm cutting off isn't because of the next world part. Okay, but can I just say one more There's thing? a reason why... Can I just say one more thing? Only if it answers my question, which was... If you can say what my question was, you can say. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's why I'm cutting you off. You don't know what the question was. I'm just saying that... I'm just saying. <laughs> Natalie, <laughs> Natalie, <laughs> Natalie. <laughs> If you can say the question, you can answer, you can say what you want to say, but you first got to say the question. Why do people go through so much hardship uh, to do the right thing? <laughs> nice try. Um, anyway, so what our question is, is how do you get rid of ego? That was our question. How do you do it? So we had different answers. We had like, well... You let the power of the goal, that's what you guys were saying, let the power of the goal outweigh the power of the ego. Maybe you cannot get uh, rid of the ego, it's there, but you can talk with the ego or uh, go up, uh, work with the ego and lift a lot. In Hebrew you say, lift a lot me the ego. It's to build a bridge over the ego and do something better. Because the ego is there always. You cannot fight with No, not, not that. You're, we're not saying you're not going to not have an ego. Everyone's got an ego. How are you able to forgo it when for your mission? When you resonate with your mission to such an extent. That's what they were saying. When you learn that God... When you learn that God... Everything else goes by the way. Who feels passionate about something here? Okay. How do you know it's not from the Okay, you ready? How do you know we're we're going to go to the square. We're going to go to the square, the Jewish quarter square, and we are going to sh- get it down to, like, let's all get it down to, like, maybe three, four lines of what we're passionate about, and then we're going to walk up to every individual, including all the tour groups. You have to interrupt the tour guide. And just say, I just want to tell you all what I'm passionate about. <laughs> let's do it. Yeah, for it. It won't even help the. We're only talking about. Oh, forget the mission. We're only discussing ego. That's what I'm saying. We're only on ego right now. How do you know that? That's why we speak to a mentor to find out if the passion is just more ego. Guys, how do we get rid of this ego of ours? Because. The, so that's why I brought up just maybe do something ridiculous 
maybe doing something ridiculous is a good thing to do. By the way, you don't even have to tell me about your mission. You could just do something ridiculous. Do something out of the box? Yeah, do something totally out of the box. Make a, do something out of the box, extremely out of the box, for like a month straight, and see if that doesn't... Uh, uh, you're the right guy to ask. I mean, you, you've... Of all, the, of all the people who does things out of the box, I mean, you are probably, you are probably the most out of the box person I've ever met. Amen. So, <laughs> so, and he was the one who, he was the one I think who wasn't afraid at all of ridicule. Are you like, have you burned that out of you? What? Ridicule? Yeah. Burned out of you? Yeah. So it worked, basically. And the failure. I'm happy to go through many, many. Yes. Really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, failure doesn't bother you either? It's interesting we're having this discussion because there's a unique person in this class who has, you know, it's between us, the details, but, but like daily, daily, putting yourself in the line of like extreme embarrassment. Day after day, different countries, like he did it and he because giving is not from the ego if you do something else I think it's from the ego okay did he give something by doing this did he give something he got something is that he's no for yourself oh wow Arya what's up Arya did people get some good benefit or healing or something good that they didn't have he he wasn't he wasn't on a mission he was just breaking himself (laughs) he was just breaking himself but where, did you ever find a mission? I got a mission. I got what I'm doing. I'm not telling anybody what my mission is. That's <laughs> no okay. Way. How's it going? Wonderful. Amazing. There's many hardships and difficulties, but hey, it's getting somewhere. <laughs> anyway, anyway, this is the no wonder part of our class. No wonder so few people have ever found their mission. And not only that, I just, before you speak, I just want to mention that, and again, this I'm not pointing fingers at the black attitude Haredi scene, but I've actually gotten people mad at me for even saying we have a personal mission. I got, I've gotten people mad at me in the black hat world for even saying we have a personal mission. Yeah, that you were created for a reason other than serving God. I've gotten people mad at me for that. But... but What do you mean other than serving God? It's just crazy, our situation, because you have people all over the world with a sense that we, our lives would be meaningful with a mission, right? Or my life would be meaningful with a mission, but God gave all of us this major obstacle called rejection and failure, or ego. Rejection and failure, which are both going to hit big time if you champion that mission. So, they, so in other words, God, let's put it like this. God has reserved the greatest pleasure of life if pleasure comes from the meaning of mission. God's given the best, biggest pleasure in life to a tiny amount of people. And, of course, you know, people like people already don't like the chosenness stuff of Jews. We're not even talking about the chosenness of Jews. We're talking about, like, a fraction of humanity, even amongst the Jews, a fraction of the people who have the pleasure 
of mission. The greatest pleasure in the end will be the biggest difference you made. That will be your biggest pleasure. But all of us have our hands tied behind our back on making that, making that move. It's scary. Because time's ticking. You want me to get you back? No, everyone has a mission. Do you want me to bring you back to what I'm talking about? Yeah, I, I lost the purpose. Two types of mission. One type of mission is to serve God. Second time missions, why you're here specifically. Because I have a special gift. You have a special gift. It's called kohot nefesh You have certain kohot nefesh to contribute, litron, to contribute to the world. But to get the pleasure of your having been created and using your kohot nefesh, you have many also, and yours are very intellectual too, for you to give those kohot nefesh to this world, is that pleasure has been put like in a black box. It's like been put in the other side of Mount Everest. Because no one wants to feel like a fool and nobody wants to fail. And so God gave just reward for this, is that you get to have an amazing life if you would just forgo the, the embarrassment and the failures. If you just forego embarrassment and failure, you get the pleasure. You get the you get the greatest pleasure of life. And the cool thing about it, it's never too late. It's never too late. I, I've I've witnessed many things even this year of people, men and women, some in their sixties, some in their seventies, who just said, you know what, to hell with it. <laughs> I've got a mission and I'm doing it. And today they're like viral sensations. Because they said, you know what? Time's ticking. I'm not getting younger. I got a mission. And I don't care what anyone thinks. And they just went for it. And they, they said, forget it. I'm, I'm going to be more afraid. I'm more afraid of dying having not lived. And there's a very interesting thing that I'll bring up. Is there's a, You want to hear a strange correlation? Um, I guess they're able to check these things in sociology departments. I don't know how they know these things, but... But there's a direct correlation between fear of death and mission. That the bigger your mission, the less the fear of death. Meaning the more you're on your mission, the less the fear of death. And the less you're on your mission, the more fear of death. Which is really weird because the people who are really on their mission are really alive. So they feel like they should be more afraid of dying. While the people who don't have a mission feel kind of dead inside. I mean, they're already dead. So what are they so afraid of? They're already half dead. So, so now you're all dead. <laughs> but there's something about the people who feel really alive lose their fear of death. And I would like to, I would like to propose why. I'd like to propose why. The reason why people who are fully alive and living the mission are not afraid of death is because they're already dead. I I mean dead in a good way now. Whoa. This is coming out totally different than I was planning, but now it's getting really good. You got what I... You got it. (laughs) 
Everyone just hang in there for a sec. I'm afraid of rejection and failure because that would affect my little, my little pet self-image, which is a joke anyway, because what, what is it anyway? A self, imaginary self-image is imaginary. So my little imaginary self that I've got to so protect is also what's going to die when I die. And so I'm afraid of losing myself because I've got this imaginary little pet self called self-image. I'm scared of losing that. Well, what's the proof I'm so scared of losing that is I can't even find my mission because when I go for my mission means my self-image is going to take all kinds of hits from ridicule and my self-image is going to take all kinds of hits from failures. But if I would just allow the ridicule to come on, like come on and ridicule, and I'd let the failures come on failure, I'm going to chew on the fat of failure. I'm going to chew on the fat of failure. So then I die. While alive, meaning the self-image dies. It's like, it's like self-image suicide to go into the mission and live that mission it is self-image suicide and to go through all those failures because anything that's successful fails a lot like lots of failures remember learning to stand remember learning to walk massive amounts of failures and why how does a kid even do it the answer is he doesn't have a self-image yet <laughs> his brain doesn't work yet for self-awareness Self-awareness hits at around three, three and a half, four. I need to die the, what you could call ego death, which I think is called ego death. But, I, but how do you get ego death? Go to an ashram in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, in India or Nepal and, and just have ego death through meditation and abstention? No, yeah. Is no is go be go make a difference. Go make a difference without caring about what anyone thinks, and get yourself totally embarrassed out there, and fail a ton of times, and and it will kill your ego way better than any ashram will. And now you've already had that part of you die. So all that's left now is your spirit. What else is there after the self-image? It's just, you're still there. Hey, hey, I'm still here. So I guess that's my spirit. Well, my spirit's eternal. I'm not afraid to die. I have an eternal spirit. The part of me that I identify with is never going to die. It's the, uh, notice it's the only part of you that's always around. I mean, think about it. Ten years ago, what was around? <laughs> What was around? You can't remember a thing except the fact that you were around, meaning your spirit was there. can't remember anything else. The past, every moment, you were there. You're here right now. Your future is totally nebulous, meaning means nothing. It's only now that, that the spirit's here. It's always here because it's part of eternity. Eternity's always here. And the spirit of a person is always here. 
And so dying is no biggie. Dying just means that the body... I'm late in my morning. I'm running late. The body's no biggie. The body's... The body's just the housing of the spirit. And because I live spirit, because I killed the ego, so the, the fact that my, my housing is going away... You know, how many of us have watched on the news like a natural disaster aftermath? You know, the hurricane went through or the tornado went through or the earthquake went through or whatever. And now there's volcanoes, you know, going on in Hawaii, going through these neighborhoods and stuff. And then the news comes and interviews the people. They're usually not crying unless they lost someone. But they may be more alive now than ever. They're, they're just... Because they're getting that the important stuff's okay. Yeah, there's, there's, their house has become charred by lava. But they're alive. And that's what matters. That the, the spirit, all I, all I got left is the spirit. Which is very interesting to going back to the, the, the monks in the ashram. All they got left is their spirit. Because they got rid of everything. But that's not called living life. Living life comes from the responsibility and fulfillment of mission. And that is for the people who really want to live life. But that kind of life is a life of spirit because the, because the self-image got killed already by all the ridicule and all the failures till you finally succeeded in the mission. It's going to be ridiculed. You're going to fail. It's going to kill it. And that's why people with a mission are so much less afraid of death because they're already part, they're already identified with the part of them that lasts forever. And that's the spirit, the soul. As a woman, as a woman though, having a child with an apparatus and revelation and, um, and really feel like you're doing your mission in life and with your family, with your family with your husband and yeah I appreciate you saying that and women actually have much better statistics on fear of death than many other categories of happiness and, and purpose um, any, I, I know you too want to say something but I see Rabbi Nekomar has walked in which means it's quite late Shalom everybody it's partially my fault you've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com